Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In this new monthly slot, Rubber Cheese CEO Paul Marden joins me to discuss different digital related topics. In this episode, we're discussing personalization and what attractions can do to make their websites feel more tailored to their audience. You can subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello again. Good, isn't it? It is good. Back here for a third time. You're lucky. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Right. Let's start the podcast as we do with this one. What attraction have you visited most recently and what did you love about it? Yeah, I I was pretty lucky the other day because I went to the National Maritime Museum because I'm a trustee of Kids in Museums and we had our Family Friendly Museum Awards and we held it in their lecture theatre at the Maritime Museum um, up in Greenwich. And I'd been to the Greenwich Museums before. I'd been to the top of the hill where the observatory is, but I'd never been to the bottom of the hill, which is where Maritime Museum is. And so I'm just there with all the great and good of all the the museums around the country that have been shortlisted for the awards, which was brilliant. But the bit that I really loved was that I was there in the daytime during the midweek, so peak school trip season. And it was just amazing to be in this place with all these school kids there doing their school trips, Um, which is something I'm really... I'm really passionate about the value of those school trips. It was something that really got the kids lost out on when when COVID hit and everybody was working online and then they went back to schools, but the schools had to be really careful about what they did and there were no school trips. Um, That's such a magical part of being in primary school that they were just robbed of. So seeing all those kids in that amazing place was just wonderful. Um, I got to rub shoulders with the great and the good. I've met some Skip the Queue alumni at the event as well. And I had a lovely cup of tea and a piece of cake in the cafe with our project manager, Bex. So <laughs> a good can day. you imagine a better day? <laughs> no, it's a perfect day. I was just thinking as you were talking about the school trips, it's like a rite of passage at school, isn't it? To be walking around a museum with a clipboard, draw a pic- to draw, draw a picture of it, go and find X, draw a picture of it. I've just got really vivid memories of doing that when I was younger. And they were all just herring around doing exactly that and loving life. So, yeah. and buying their little rubbers in the shop and things like that. So, you should collect rubbers, kids. <laughs> all the cool people do. <laughs> okay, I, I need to give a big shout out to the National Trust. We are really lucky where we live. So we've got like a triangle of National Trust uh, venues near us. So we've got Wimpole, Ickworth and Anglesey Abbey, all within like 25 minutes, half an hour, a little bit, a little bit longer for Ickworth. Um, each one of them is incredible. They all have a different adventure. They've got great play areas, uh, you know, beautiful historic houses uh, and beautiful walks. And we have... Uh, spent a lot of time in the last two years at a national trust venues walking <laughs> pushing the pram um but now uh now Edie's toddling around um you know we're we're into like the the, the activity areas so you know and all of them are phenomenal Wimpole has just redone their um outdoor play area which we're yet to visit we're just waiting for a dry day to get back over to that one but it's just the membership so I think the membership is such superb value for money I I, I actually I genuinely cannot I cannot speak more highly of it it is such good value for money and we get like you know four five six seven eight times the amount of value from it 
every single year we have this membership um so much so that we've you know we gift it to people as well like we were really lucky we got given some money for a wedding gift and we said oh you know rather than you I think when people give you money, it's lovely, but it just kind of, you can put it in the bank and you forget about it, right? Or you yeah. spend it on, it just it gets spent on stuff. And we were like, right, if we get given money, we'll spend it on a thing and we can say we bought this thing with it. And so that we bought the National Trust membership with it. That's a cracking idea. Yeah, it was really good, really good idea. Um, but then it's such good value that we've then bought membership for like my parents for their, like, really? like, yeah. So I think it was like a joint, and my, I think Father's Day and my mum's birthday are quite close together, so it might have been a joint one for that. Um, and so they can, you know, they go and they go on their own and then they go and they take Edie as well. And it's just, it's absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, well done, National Trust. Well done, Wimpole, especially because pigs, someone, <laughs> my, the tiny person in my house, is very happy about pigs there. I don't mean myself, I mean Edie. Um, and also, I just want to give a big shout out to one of the volunteers. I'm, I'm really sorry I didn't get the volunteer's name at Wimpole. But he's one of the volunteers in the farm. Um, I am a little bit frightened of horses. I think they're beautiful, but um, really big. I, I saw an old next to neighbour get kicked by a horse once. And you've literally been scarred. Yeah, there's a, there's a block up there. Um, but I, I am I'm a little bit frightened of horses. And there's a huge shy horse at Wimpole. He's a big, big old gentle giant. I think he's called Jack. Um, but I, I am a bit frightened. And I, I don't want that fear to rub off on Edie. And so um, I, I very bravely took Edie over to meet the Shire horse. But the volunteer was wonderful. This guy just, you know, told us loads of stuff about the horse and he was really great with Edie and and, and he, she managed to stroke his nose and even I managed to stroke stroke Jack's nose. So, yeah, thank you, man, whose name I didn't get. It was a really lovely experience and you helped put me at ease and my daughter at ease. So there you go. National Trust and the value of volunteers and national trust volunteers we've talked about this before i've been to a couple that are local to me and they just tell the most amazing stories and they engage people in a way that you know it's to to be so passionate about the thing that you care about and that you want to do that for free to help people to enjoy their experience it's just amazing and there are some there are i mean they're diamonds all over the place in all the museums and places that we visit but there's plenty of them when you work that natural trust membership uh you get to meet a lot of volunteers don't you um and they are amazing working it hard um right okay <laughs> let's get on to what we're going to discuss today so we are talking about personalization and what attractions can do to make their websites feel more personal so this is an interesting one and i think that we've probably got to put our hands up and make a bit of an apology here very few people who took part in the 2023 visitor attraction website survey actually implement personalization um but there's a lot of evidence that personalization improves conversion rates so there's some stats that i want to read out from the report uh only six percent of respondents personalize their website experience for customers yet 85 percent of respondents thought personalization was highly important so question for you why do you think so many people think it's important but so few are actually implementing it. Well, this is where we hold our hands up, isn't it? And we say, yeah. I think the answer to that is because we didn't ask the question properly. Mm, probably. Um, uh, when I read, so so I've, I've touched base with the, there was a very small set of people, as you say, 6% of people said that they were personalizing their websites. But the language that we used in the question was a little bit confusing. And when I reached out to a handful of that 6%, 
um, they were like, oh no, that that's not what we thought you meant. What what we thought you meant was that can so one person said to me they were you could personalize your experience at the venue by buying different things, not personalize uh, the website experience. Uh, um yeah. So and and when you read the language of the question again with that answer in your head, you it's obvious why they answered it in the way that they did. So, you know, there's a lesson to be learned there about trialing the questionnaire, making sure that people understand what it is that we're saying and that we agree with the language of what we've used. Um, the fact is, I think a lot of people didn't understand us. So the answers that we got back, the, the disparity is clearly confusion-based. But even if we weren't confused, even if we had the data, my instinct is that there would be a big difference between the two. And that boils down to the fact that I think the personalization is hard to do. And that actually the reason why a lot of people aren't doing it is because it's hard and costly in some cases. But we need to get into the guts of that and understand yeah. why. Okay, so lesson learned for next year. We need to give more clarity over the questions that we ask. So thanks for the feedback, everybody. We will do that. Um, what do we actually mean by personalization then? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think that what we mean by personalization is developing the website in a way that means that you show different contents to different audience members depending on different things. There's lots of different ways in which you can do that. There's a very simple perspective, which is around, you know, not automatically showing different content to different people, but writing content for your different audiences and making that easily discoverable. It doesn't have to be technically complex. Yeah. It's really about writing the right content for the right people and making it so that they can get from where they are to where you, they want to get to and get that right answer. Most of us do that intuitively. Most of us, when we're writing content as marketers, we do personalize the content to the end audience, even yeah. if we're not doing that in, a, in an automated way. I think with this, though, my interpretation of it is the next level onto that, which is that that's true personalization. Because I think those things, yes, that's very simple way of looking at it but that for me is not enough when it comes to how we answer this question so it's the tracking behavior and showing personal content that to me truly personalizes an experience like I can think of you know things that we've done in the past in terms of like tracking where someone you know tracking the IP of the, the the person that's that's looking at the website and giving and offering them up content that is in English UK UK English or in American English for example yep yeah, absolutely. So it could be it could be about time of day. So um, it's a bit it's trite. It, it's not going to convert somebody, but saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening mm. based on where they are. Um, we did another site uh, a few years ago which showed videos of an experience in the daytime or an experience at nighttime, depending yeah. on when you were looking at the website. And then you could switch in between them, which was pretty cool. Um, I, like, I like that. Yeah. But so you could do time of day, you could do location, like you say. Uh, interesting is is understanding, building an understanding of somebody fitting an audience profile based on what they've looked at across the site, which gets a little bit creepy, doesn't it? If you're if you're tracking and you, you use that tracking information without lots of care you could look really creepy but if you use it really carefully then you can adapt the content of the site based on you know the more that somebody looks at the schools section of your website and they look at news articles that are related to schools maybe they're a teacher or maybe they're interested in running a school trip to your venue um and 
you can adapt the recommendations that you make to them based on mm. that understanding that they show more interest in the educational aspects of what you're doing. So this leads us to to really to what some of the benefits are. And ultimately, I think the more personalised the site is, the easier it gets for users to meet their needs. You know, yeah. they are you're you're kind of getting them from the start to their goal quicker, and and hopefully makes their lives easier as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we I found some data. No, as you know, this came out of the report. Actually, eighty percent of consumers. This was a stat that we pulled out in the report. Uh, it's from HubSpot. Yeah, 80% of consumers are more likely to make a purchase from brands that offer a personalised experience. So, you know, from from that perspective, personalised sites are more likely to convert. Um, there's interesting, there's other stats that we didn't put into the report itself. Boston Consulting Group found that brands uh, that create personalised experiences combining digital with customer data, so that the true personalisation you were talking about, increased revenue by 6 to 10%. That's pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive, but then that brings us to risks, doesn't it? And that kind of creepy aspect of of this, <laughs> and whether it's is it is it okay, Han? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so some of the risks. Yeah, I mean the obvious one is is privacy, isn't it? You know, we live in an age where people value their privacy, and uh, and there's laws around that as well. So in the UK, we've got GDPR. There are laws all over the world in relation to personal information and tracking somebody's behavior around your site, what they do and what they look at, and being able to associate that back to an individual themselves is definitely data that would be in the scope of of, of the Data Protection Act in the UK and, and GDPR across Europe. Um, so you have to be really careful about what data you're collecting, how you attribute it back to a natural human, um, and then what do you do to protect that data? And then you've got complexity of managing multiple sites, managing large volumes and multiple sources of data on top of that yeah, as well. I alluded to that earlier on as my kind of the reason why I think a lot of people don't do this is when you get into the true personalization, you know, when you're managing a website, you're you, there's a lot of content on there. You've got to think about what everybody needs. You've got lots of people in the organization wanting their content put onto the website. You know, you're you're the editor and you're responsible for that thing. And then somebody says to you, I think it's a bright idea. We've got 12 audiences and we want to have personalized content for all of those audiences. And now you don't have one website to manage. You've got 12 websites to manage. And when it goes wrong for one particular person, when the CEO is looking at the website and it shows them something really weird and they report it to the editor and the editor's like, yeah, but but how, how do I know what it was that went wrong? Because I don't have one website. I've got 12 oh websites that I've got to manage. You know, the, the level of complexity and the effort that you go into this can, if you're not careful, if you're not, if you're not doing this in a sensible way, it can become quite hard to manage yeah. um, and get your head around. I'm just thinking of the horror of trying to support that from a from an agency perspective as well. <laughs> <laughs> when you've got when you've got support tickets coming in and the, the support ticket from the from the client is so this person is is not happy because they've seen content that isn't okay for them or oh god yeah yeah if not managed properly you've got this potential explosion of content you've also got the potential for all of that personal data about the people that are going around the website to be tracked so now you've got a manager load of data in volumes that you would never really thought of before where does the customer data come from if you've got you know 
Do we want to show personalized information for people that are members? Where do we hold our membership information? Do we hold that in a CRM system? Okay, so now we need to plumb the CRM system into the website so the website knows if the visitor is a member or not. Do we show different information to somebody that is not a member, but they have visited before? Or how do we know that? Oh, we need to plumb in data from the ticketing system now. And this can be amazing. And that's how you arrive at that high conversion rate is that you've enriched the experience with loads of knowledge about the person. It's not like somebody's walking into, into the gates of the place and you know nothing about them. All of a sudden... You know, they're walking into your website, they're interacting with your website, and they're not just the same as everyone else. They're special. And and everybody wants to be special, but to get them to that special place, you have to know a lot about them. Don't you? It can be amazing when it's done well, but it's not trivial. So we always, at this point, talk about who is doing it well, and this is a really difficult one. A tricky one, because ultimately we haven't asked the question properly in the survey and because of the nature of personalization we don't know who's doing it we don't we 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 don't know really so what would be great is if you are an attraction listening to this episode and you're out there and you are doing it well we'd really love to talk to you so we have um these little slots that we have between paul and i we've got a load of things that we can talk about but if there's if if there's an attraction out there that is doing personalization really well we can open up one of these slots for you to come on and have a chat with us and just talk about some of the things that you're doing we'd love to hear some really good success stories for this and some case studies so yeah feel free to drop me an email and kelly at rubbercheese.com and let me know so skipping over the fact that we've got no one to talk about <laughs> who does it well <laughs> hopefully hopefully we will soon um what yeah. are the steps that people can take so what's the starting point if you are thinking about personalization what does that journey look like yeah first of all you need to understand the audience don't you or the audiences yeah and just talking from our own perspective and our process that we follow um you know that's an early part of the kind of research that we do when we're building a new site is to dig into who the audience is and trying to understand them and in as many ways as you possibly can um there's loads of stuff written about this online there's some brilliant examples that i've looked at before for tfl who share their audience personas and how much detail they've gone into understanding who the different people are that interact with the tfl website and what their goals are and what you know what makes them special you know, from the perspective of an attraction, you could think of families with young kids that are coming. You could be thinking of maybe if you were a museum, the the people that are running school trips, the teachers and so forth that could be running it. Um, maybe the volunteers for your organisation or another audience member that, that you need to think about and understand who they are, what they look like in terms of their demographic information um, the way they think and what they do and how they they interact with the world well, markers that you could use to be able to to help target that so figuring out that audience persona for each of the people that you want to target i think is a is a crucial job definitely the starting point and sometimes that's done internally and sometimes we support with that externally i think then you have to kind of think about the tools that you've got um what is available to you and how you can use them and we, we focus on three main ones at Rubber Cheese, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we focus on WordPress, Iraco, and HubSpot. And it's interesting because each of them have different functionalities in terms of personalization. 
and and it's a bit weird isn't it to try and think about the tool before you think about what you want to do but uh, really it's about not trying to put the cart before the horse if you know what the tool can do then you can figure out how you can use it yeah and it's about and i think from a cost you know perspective as well it's thinking about what you already have in place that you can manipulate rather than starting from scratch hubspot's a good one to talk about because straight out of the box it's the most capable in terms of personalization and it's a bit obscure because a lot of people think of hubspot as being a crm package they don't think of it as being a content management system website tool but it, it has that functionality um, and that's kind of evolved over the last five years into a, a fully formed content management system. But because you've got this bolted together CRM and content management system, I mean, they've they've obviously spotted that's an opportunity for them and they put those two things together. And so straight out of the box, you can build out personalization. You can create these what they call smart rules to say, in this section, I want to show this content dependent on this particular factor so that's pretty awesome to get that straight out of the box i think i, I struggled to get my head around that and i just just because i do view hubspot as our crm like i i i'm in it constantly you know it's it's my it's my source of truth for all of my you know clients and networking contacts and and suppliers uh, it's it's you know where my sales pipeline is you know i can't get my head around that it's a content management system as well it's just yeah. bizarre Completely, but you can you can think of uh, when you're building out the website, and it doesn't have to be built out in HubSpot itself. It's, sorry, in HubSpot's own content management system, you can still do a lot of this using their CRM system bolted onto other content management systems. But you can create contacts as somebody becomes a real person, then you could create that contact inside HubSpot and use the knowledge about that person on the website you can use the deal functionality inside hubspot to track when somebody has bought tickets for for a place and when they've actually completed the deal you end up with lots and lots of data going through hubspot when you do all of that order information going through there but that's how you enrich it with you know the the ability to target your existing customers with different content to prospective customers that have never Mm. bought from you before and what about umbraco and and WordPress because they this is not something that they do like out of the box is it off the shelf no absolutely so um Umbraco doesn't have it straight out of the box um there is a really really capable personalization system called you marketing suite um which you can buy it's like an annual subscription product um that bolts into Umbraco itself it's been built so that when you're in there and managing all of your audience personas and the content that you want to adapt it's all in that one package so it does once you've got it in there it does feel like it's all in braco uh, because it's been designed in a really neat way the challenge is you've got to buy it it's a it's a paid for add-on but the benefit that you get is well worth the investment but it's not a cheap investment to make Mm. in 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 that tooling Um, and also there's elements of the site needs to be built with that in mind you can't just plug it on at the end and hope for the best you've got to think about the long no it's not a plug it on you can retrospectively add it into a site yeah um but it would probably cost you more to add it afterwards than if you'd have thought about it at the beginning and done it so it definitely can be added on later on but uh if you think about it in advance and you do it all at the same time the the total cost of the project will be will probably be lower Okay, so that's a good one to think about if you are planning uh, new website projects for the new year, you are really happy with the Umbraco platform, 
Um, yep. there's, there's something to have a conversation around around that. Okay. And then WordPress, plug, plugins. Exactly. So there's, as with everything WordPress related, hundreds of people have solved this problem. So there are lots and lots of plugins out there. There's a couple that I would mention that, that came up when I was doing some research around this. Uh, there's one called If So Dynamic Content. There's one called Logic Hop, both of which enable you to adapt your content based on certain rules that you define. So pretty much like the, the smart rule functionality that's in HubSpot, um, you, can, you can achieve that in natively inside WordPress once you add these plugins. And the cost of those plugins was negligible. Yeah, you, you're talking, you know, under 100 quid for a, a year worth of setting that up. Well, that's good to know. So like, what what are we talking about in terms of budgets for stuff then? So there's effort involved in understanding your audiences first. So that's going to be something that you talk to your agency or you bring in an external or you do internally, you carry out your persona work, you really understand who your audience is. That that cost is really variable. It could be workshop based. It could be, you might have all of this information internally anyway that you just kind of need the time to pull it all together. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can imagine that could be a, a day's effort to just pull together a few things that already exist. It could be several weeks worth of effort spread over a longer period of time. I was having a chat with Matt, our creative director, about this the other day, and, and he, drew, he literally just scribbled on a piece of paper, but he was like, Paul, you need to understand this. At the one end of the spectrum, you could spend little time researching this stuff. At the other end of the spectrum, you could spend a lot of time. And what do you get when you go in between the two? You make less assumptions the further down mm. the road you go. So if you can deal with with a kind of a minimal research and making some broad assumptions, then you know that that's a sensible thing to do. But if you want the confidence of knowing that you're not making too many assumptions and there's lots of data underlying the things that you're saying then obviously you need to invest more effort into yeah. that research to be able yeah. to find that out. Yeah. Kind of obvious, but it, it helped when you drew me that that kind of primer. So let's look at the tools then. So let's do let's do HubSpot. So we talked about HubSpot first. Um yeah. what's the cost involved in that? Because I, I my my assumption, I mean I've used the free version of HubSpot for years. There's a paid version of HubSpot. My assumption was the paid version of HubSpot was really expensive. So costing HubSpot is a complex thing because there's lots of different variables involved. There are lots of features. The more features you add, the more it costs. Mm. But in order to do this personalization, you need a pro version of their content management system. And you're looking at about 350 quid a month to be able to do that. So what's that? About four and a half, five thousand pounds a year to buy that in. That is not just for that feature. That is for the whole of that HubSpot content management system and all of its hosting included as well. And it's kind of, it is it is top grade, highly secure, highly available infrastructure that you get involved in that. So it's not the cost of personalization is not just the three hundred and fifty quid a month. That is the all in to get that pro package yeah. is three fifty quid a month. And then there'll be dev costs on top of that to to implement it. Yeah, to a certain extent, actually, a, a lot of the personalization because it's core to to HubSpot, um, you can achieve a lot in a normally designed and built uh, HubSpot site um, and then just manage the content in that. So let's say you've got a panel where you want to show a particular piece of content that says, hey, you're back again because you're a returning user. You wouldn't necessarily need a developer to be able to make that available to you. Those smart rules would be built in 
by the content management system. So there's obviously going to be things that you want to do that you will need to have a developer to be able to do that. You need someone that understands logic. So <laughs> this is not a job. Wow. For, this is not a job for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In the right hands, you don't need a developer to be able to do a lot of the personalization in, in HubSpot. All right. What about Umbraco? Yeah, there are some free tools. There's something called personalization groups. Um, but if you want, if you want to go for your marketing suite, which I think is where you're getting into really serious, proper personalization territory with lots of great functionality, you're looking at about 400 quid a month for the package to be added into your to your Umbraco instance. So that's not comparing apples with apples when we look at the, the HubSpot cost because that's an all-in cost for the whole of the platform for HubSpot. Whereas for, for Umbraco, your marketing suite is 400 quid a month to add it to your instance. Yeah. Um, and that depends on the amount of traffic on your site. That, that, that does vary. And then WordPress is cheaper chips in comparison. So plugins, you're looking at costs of around about £150 per year, depending on what one you go to. Obviously, you will... You know, you, you've either got somebody internally that can integrate that for you or you've got your dev costs on, on top of that. But if you've already got an existing website in WordPress, then actually could be something relatively inexpensive that you could start to try out. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, you've got other personalization systems that you could plug into any of these systems um, to to be, you know, with your kind of Lamborghini style sets of functionality you, you know you're you're these are starting costs for the packages we're talking about yeah we're talking 150 quid a year for wordpress but that would be basic personalization yeah okay good chat so just to reiterate what we said earlier um sorry we were idiots about the question <laughs> and of course some confusion apologies we'll do much better next time but now you've listened to this episode, if you do have a story to share and you are doing some really interesting things, we would love to give you the platform to share that. So do drop me a line, kelly at rubbercheese.com, and we will make that happen. All right, great. Same time next month. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.